In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about the influence of a fellow breast cancer survivor on the life and advocacy of another. This is a story about the journey to become an early stage ally for metastatic breast cancer and the decision to stay and work in cancer land. It's a story that's near and dear to my heart, not just because the subject of the story is one of my dearest friends, but because I too grapple with questions of how best to advocate for the MBC community if I myself am not living with MBC. I wondered if it was my place to fight for a community I was not technically a part of. But here's the hard truth about metastatic breast cancer. One in three of us who have experienced an early stage diagnosis will go on to have a stage four diagnosis. So what happens in the MBC community affects everyone in the early stage community. Not only that, but when you're living with cancer, a lot of your time is spent in treatment, dealing with side effects of treatment, waiting on test results, etc. You have good days, yes, glorious, wonderful days. And maybe you don't want to spend those wonderful days fighting on behalf of MBC. And that's where early stage allies can really help. When we have the energy, we can step in and carry the torch. And today's story is about that torch passing and one woman's journey to finding the confidence to carry it. And I can't wait for you to hear about the work she's doing. My guest today is Roberta Lombardi. Roberta was diagnosed at 49 with stage one triple positive breast cancer. Her diagnosis came in September 2016 after finding a lump during a routine self-exam. She had a double mastectomy and 14 months of chemo and chemo-related therapies. And then she founded Infinite Strength in 2018. Infinite Strength is a nonprofit which provides financial and emotional support to underrepresented single mothers living with metastatic breast cancer. Today, as we record this, Infinite Strength is the only nonprofit in the country to provide six months of recurring financial support to each qualified grantee. Welcome to The Burn, Roberta. Thanks, April. It's great to be here. Thank you. So you're here to read a piece you wrote called When Two Worlds Collide from our 2023 issue of Five Years and Counting. This was an issue you joined me on as our guest editor and cover star. And anyone listening who hasn't yet seen this issue, you have to go pick it up. So after you read, Roberta, we will chat. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Roberta, I'll let you take it away. When two worlds collide. My friend Lisa died from metastatic breast cancer this past August. Although I've lost a lot of people I care about to this disease, losing Lisa was different. I should say here that Lisa and I were not close friends. We had known each other only a short period of time, but her influence on my life was as meaningful as that of some friends I've known for decades. 
Lisa, without knowing it, relieved my inner conflict. I had felt as if I were living my life caught between two worlds, living my life as two different people, a thriver and a survivor. You see, as an early stage survivor, I've spent the past five years plus working with and on behalf of women living with MBC. There was Thriver Me, the one living in the present and excitedly planning for the future, opening doors with hope and anticipation. I knew how privileged I was to be alive and present for my three daughters. I was thankful I could be a part of their beautiful futures. My heart would overflow with gratitude that I'd be able to witness them enter each new chapter of their lives from high school and college to careers and families. Despite the hope and positivity I felt as a thriver, the survivor in me was a bit darker. This half of me knew all too well that 30% of early stage survivors will receive an MBC diagnosis at some point in their life. This part of me would sometimes be triggered by a smell, a memory, or a situation that would leave me feeling helpless and immediately transport me back when I was a cancer patient, hairless, maimed, and broken. Bringing these two worlds together is my fourth child, the one I've nurtured since its birth in 2018, Infinite Strength. Guiding this nonprofit and doing this work has been indescribably fulfilling, and I was just getting started thriving and surviving. This had left me with the dilemma of both embracing and questioning at the same time. Was survivorship a constant, painful collision of the past and the present? Was it a battle of knowing what I wanted my future to look like, but being afraid to hope? The survivor in me was so deeply entwined with the women that Infinite Strength supports. They were always in my thoughts. Their pain and their struggles kept me up at night. Why did I do this to myself? Why did I put myself in a position to live in cancer world when I had been given a clean bill of health? Why did I keep reminding myself of what could have happened or what could still happen? Why did survivor me not look for the exit, close the door, and never look back? But this part of me also knew I never would. This is where Lisa entered my life. On a random summer day in 2021, I answered my phone to hear Lisa's cheerful voice on the other end. We got acquainted with each other and made plans to work together on a panel discussion Infinite Strength was hosting. In the middle of the conversation, she said, I'm so glad you're doing this work because we need you. Those of us living with MBC need you. We're the ones working so hard to educate others about this disease, fighting for better care and better outcomes, but we're also fighting for our lives and we're going to die. We need early stage allies like you to continue the work when we cannot. I was stunned into silence for two reasons. The first was that she talked about dying with such utter acceptance. There were no tearful cries. Her voice didn't even lower an octave. Acceptance. Her tone conveyed acceptance, and I wondered how that was possible. The second thought was that I had never heard the term early stage ally, and it took me by surprise that she described my work in this way. Early stage ally. Those three words struck me long after that telephone conversation ended, and I began to use them when describing the work of infinite strength. As I write this, those three small words fill me with great pride because the definition of the word ally means one that is associated with another as a helper, a person or group that provides assistance and support in an ongoing effort, activity, or struggle. Thanks to Lisa, I began to realize that I might have been looking at survivorship in the wrong way. Once Lisa and I began working together, I took every opportunity I could over the course of the next year to learn from her, 
to follow her, to be worthy of advocating on behalf of amazing women like her, women living while dying. And as I led infinite strength through the remainder of 2021 and into 2022, as we grew from a New England nonprofit to an East Coast nonprofit, and as we set a goal to become national by 2024, it has been the initial conversation with Lisa that replays in my head. It is her voice and her words propelling me, and it is her words that helped me find peace. Bad things happen to good people all the time. I don't know what my future will bring, but I do know I'm here now and healthy, and it's a privilege to be a helper. I will not lose sight of that again. When I received the text that Lisa had died, I sat and cried alone at my kitchen table. It wasn't that I did not know the end was near. Always thinking of others, she had prepared everyone well. But August 2022 was just too soon for her light to be extinguished. How is it possible that somebody I knew for only a little over a year could come to mean so much to me? How was she ever going to know the impact she had on me or the peace of mind she helped me find? I guess the real question is, how lucky am I to have had her in my life for even a short time? She was a gift. I no longer feel as if I live in two worlds, as if I'm two different people. I actually feel quite at peace with who I am and my choice to make cancer my life's work. I've reframed my idea of survivorship. It is no longer a heavy weight, but a badge of honor. It's not a collision, but a melding, a melding of my past and my present and my hopes and goals for the future. And I have Lisa to thank for that. Oh, thank you so much for that, Roberta. Thank you. So let's take a quick break here. We'll let you catch your breath and then we will chat. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone you will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hi, my name is Julie Stonefelt, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 35 in 2015 in Edmonds, Washington. I shared my story in Wildfire Magazine and the Burn podcast in 2022. They were powerfully healing experiences for me. Before finding Wildfire, I was struggling with making sense of all the complex feelings that come with survivorship. Now I have found the courage to tell my story without shame or guilt. I've come to understand that while my story is my own, my experiences as a young survivor are not unique. And that has helped me feel far less alone. So thank you, April, and the whole Wildfire community for creating this place for the women too young for breast cancer. All right. Thank you so much for the lovely testimonial, Julie. 
All right. Turning back to you, Roberta, thank you again for that beautiful story and for bringing Lisa, this is Lisa Laudico, back into our into the burn. We had her on reading one of her stories in the past. We'll be sure to link to it. Um, but she she means so much to me, and I'm so grateful to you for writing about her today and sharing her. She was just this incredible force of nature. And you know, now what, this is the second time this week I've read the story out loud, right? Because I joined you Saturday night for the storytelling event. And it's hard for me to get through. Yes, It really is. And it, to me, it is just forever amazing and a sense of wonder that I knew her for such a short time. And yet I'm telling you, April, I feel she is there like guiding what I do. If that makes sense. I mean, I just feel it. Oh, 100%. I had the privilege of having Lisa in many of my workshops. And I remember the first time, the very, very first workshop we did, the first wildfire workshop we did, Lisa was in it. This was in the very beginning of 2020. And, um, you know, I think it was April. We were all grappling with the pandemic and realizing that we needed to be together, but we didn't know how in this new environment. And so we all started turning on our webcams and there was Lisa and she told the most incredible stories. But what she really did was offer so much encouragement to everyone else who was sharing their stories. And it was this gentle attention, I think, that she gave to each person that was so powerful. And I had a similar experience as you did, where she let me know that early stage allyship and uh, advocacy is so important for the NBC community. And I should stay here for anyone who doesn't know Lisa's work. She founded the podcast, Our NBC Life, and really did a lot to change the landscape of what NBC looks like currently for people living with MBC. So I guess I want to bring it back to you, Roberta, and maybe we'll start at where I usually go to at the end of my questions, which is to talk about your work. But so much of what you wrote about here is that intersection with Lisa and how it inspired your work. So will you just take a moment and tell us a little more about Infinite Strengths today? So we've evolved. And, you know, I I knew that we needed to, to focus on the metastatic breast cancer community fairly early on in, in the start of Infinite Strength. And of course, the pandemic hit, and so it took us a while to, to get traction on it. But the minute the world kind of opened up in the summer of 2021, we went full steam ahead and became solely focused on helping underrepresented women, single moms living with this disease. And... It's grown in the last year to the point that it, it's beyond my expectation. I mean, I, I said in, in, the, in the story that, you know, we hope to be national by 2024. We're pretty much there. I mean, we are now accepting applications from anybody living anywhere. And right now I have files representing, you know, half of the states. So... We're pretty much there. And it's just incredible. And now we've got this whole educational piece that we offer that started with mm. Lisa. We did one panel discussion with Lisa in 2021. That got us noticed by sponsors. And now there's something we do quarterly. And now we're going to start taking them on the road. Because it's so important 
for the women that are living with this disease to have that educational resource. We, we know what the challenges are. We get it. There are so many challenges a breast cancer diagnosis brings, but then a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis where you're in treatment the rest of your life. So we have these discussions where we tackle topic after topic that relate to this disease and the emotional and mental well-being of the women who are living with it. And it's just become incredibly beneficial, incredibly well-received. And again, I kind of feel like that whole that phone call with Lisa started it all. That's incredible. And well, congratulations on already moving into realizing your dream of being national. I know that is a testament to your hard work and also a testament to how much your work is needed. So congratulations on that. I love that. Yeah. We'll be sure to link so anyone can find you. Um, and I'll ask you a little bit later on for the best place to to find you. But right now, I want to turn back to your essay. So going back to the issue that we published you in, this was the issue you and I worked on together, five years and counting. We're highlighting stories and lessons learned from people who have lived, you know, even just one day beyond that five-year mark of, of post-diagnosis. So this was women or this issue rather, were women that had experienced either one diagnosis or many diagnoses, but the first one was at least five years ago. And what we asked people to do was write about lessons learned. Like what do they know about living now in that aftermath or in the shadow of breast cancer? And so you sat down and you wrote an essay that we just heard. And so what I want to ask you is, was this story that we heard, did you know immediately that this was the story you needed to tell? Or did you, did it take some time to form? And I also want to ask, the telling it through this container of kind of Lisa's guiding you, was that also something that just popped out for you fully formed? Or did it kind of come around to that? Interesting. I knew, I knew when the topic of you know, five years and counting when you said that that was going to be the topic of this issue. I instantly knew I was going to talk about Lisa and her impact oh. on how I look at survivorship. The whole thing was automatically there. And I think it, it came from when she passed. And, and this is really true. I was sitting in my breakfast room at the table when I got the text from one of her NBC, our NBC Life colleagues. And I had this conversation with myself in my head because there was nobody there to share it with. And I was just crying, but I was kind of talking in my head like you could hear me. And a lot of it was what I wrote down mm. in that essay. So it's kind of my way. It was kind of my way of telling her what she did because I didn't have the chance because we did you know, she had texted me that she wanted to, you know, we need to work together again. I want to have you on RMBC Life. And then she sent me another email saying things weren't, weren't great. And that was, it was really it. Yeah. So we, we never got to finish our conversation. We never, I never got to explain to her what she meant. And then, you know, when I, when I listened to what her husband said at the service, this is just who she was. This is what she did for everybody. She gave everybody this gift, you know, and you could tell 
people came from everywhere to pay their respects and honor her. I mean, what an incredible gift she gave everyone. Yeah, truly. And I love when we find out, it kind of reminds me of that classic grandmother where every grandkid thinks that she's their favorite because she has that gift, you know, of doing that and not not in this way that makes anyone jealous or or anything. It's because every single person thinks they're their favorite. And Lisa did that for each of us. She really saw us. And, um, you know, for anyone who didn't have the opportunity to know her, just listening to her podcast, you know her. So I really encourage people to go back and listen. Um, and I really love what you said, though, about how you just knew immediately that you needed to write about her because that was the biggest impact on you. So I want to ask you a question and we'll see how comfortable you feel answering it. And you're allowed to tell me you don't want to answer it. But, you know, one of the things I really strive for in Wildfire and on the Burn is to push the story past the diagnosis. You know, so what did you do with this thing that landed in your lap? But part of understanding the transformation is to understand who you were prior. So can you tell us a little bit who you were before breast cancer came into your life? I was a control freak, an overachiever who needed everybody to think that I was super wife, super mom, superhuman, super this, super that. Everything I did, I did to the nth degree like I had something to prove. And I was at the happiest point in my life, I would say personally, right? My husband and I were just so incredibly happy together. And I had these three little girls who my youngest was 10 and then my middle was 13 and my oldest was 14. And we just had this great little cocoon that was happening with our family and just, and I, you know what? Boom. It just imploded, imploded. And I think I was a nice person. I'm not going to say I wasn't a nice person, but I think I was more worried about what other people thought and more focused on my little nucleus than I was about the bigger picture happening around me. And I think that's what changed for me Mm. after cancer. And I know there are going to be people listening to this that are going to say, please don't say cancer was a gift. Not saying that. I am not. I wish it had not happened. But, but it sucked. It it ruined a lot of things, quite honestly. And I, I lost relationships and I, I didn't know who I was. And for a long time, I couldn't stand myself. I pretty much loathed how I looked and what was left. But it took time, but I healed. And I don't, I don't live in the, the shadow of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? Am I going to be that, you know, one in or one in eight or one in 10 or whatever the, the number is whenever you talk about it. I, I, I don't live like that anymore. I don't even think about it. I just, I think I have a new compassion and I'm much more empathetic and I have this sense that I am here to help 
There is a reason why, right? I'm not going to sit here with survivor's guilt and not do anything with it. So I, yes, it could happen to me, but that's not my focus. My focus is it didn't happen to me and, and it's a privilege to be here and it is a privilege to be able to use my voice because the women we help, they don't know how to use their voice. They don't even have a voice sometimes in, in their circle. So you know what? I was very lucky and I better do something with it to help others. Like that's how I feel. I'm not saying everybody has to feel that way. I don't think everybody has to go out and make advocacy their work after a diagnosis of any kind of cancer. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's what I think this all led to. Yeah. I loved everything that you just said. It's a journey. And one of the beautiful things about having some time, you know, behind you and having moved beyond that diagnosis day is that space to reflect on, you know, what those changes have brought. And I think for a long time, we think our breast cancer story is, you know, what happened during the diagnosis, that that like initial crumbling of a world or the hard aspect of getting through treatment or that uh, like immediate aftermath that you described of like not liking how you look or not sure how to like be in the world. But I think the real aftermath is this, what we're talking about, where it's like a life changed. And as you said, too, like not everyone is going to become an advocate or feel the need to to be an advocate, but a life will be shifted to something else, you know, and it might be just a very small shift or it might be cataclysmic like it was for you. So I want to, in the time that we have remaining, shift to to asking you about some self-care that you do, because I am always eager to talk to other entrepreneurs in the breast cancer space, because we are serving the community that we are also a part of. And sometimes it can be a lot. It's very all-consuming sometimes. So my production assistant, Monica, let me know you have a Paris trip coming up. So congratulations on that. And that makes me want to ask you about self-care in and around this work that you do, what what would you say to that? Yeah, it, it gets heavy. There are times it gets heavy. Um, for me recently, the new thing is that, you know, these applications are coming across our desk and two to three out of five are women experiencing homelessness. And this is happening every week, you know, that I'm getting a bunch. And then in that is, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like, and so it weighs on me. It just yes. starts to weigh on me. And when that, when that happens, you know, self-care for me really is just, I get such a kick out of being with my daughters and the ages that they are, while I, I miss having little ones, the ages that they are, are so great because now they're 21 and 19 and 16. And you know what? They're so fun. And two were in college, obviously. So self-care for me is like going to Paris with them and, or, you know, spending the weekend with them if they're home or going to see them. That is, it kind of just renews me because it's, it's fun. And, you know, you see the world through their eyes and it's always, ooh. and um, I don't know, just the laughs. That's what, that's what kind of energizes me. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. I have a daughter too. She's going to be 15 soon. And I think it's the best age. I love having a teenager and the conversations and adventures that we can have. So I really relate to that. Well, final, final question for you. 
Do you have any advice for others who might be thinking about starting a nonprofit? Is there anything that you wish you knew way back when or you would tell that version of Roberta, you know, getting started with it? You know, it's funny because we just uh, talked about this. I, I did something with Karen Sullivan and we talked about you, um, which will be released soon. But I love that. But you know what? What I did, and I think it's more, I, I, I didn't realize going into it how beneficial it would be, but this is the first piece of advice I would pass on to anybody else is if you're looking to get into the advocacy space and you think you have an idea of what you want it to be, and maybe it is a nonprofit or, or whatever it is, volunteer first. Volunteer in a way that kind of mirrors what you're thinking of doing. So for me, it was volunteering for a nonprofit that gave grants for financial assistance. Because I didn't know how it all worked. And I got to see how it worked for this particular nonprofit. And I got to say, hey, this makes sense. That doesn't to me. And so I kind of learned what I liked and what I didn't like because it's it's overwhelming. You know, we all have the best of intentions when we want to give back and we want to do something. But if you're really going to do it and you're going to stick with it, it, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. And I think that that was probably the biggest thing I did that helped me not recreate the wheel a hundred times, you know? And the other thing is keep your focus simple. I think that's what I've learned. Keep your focus really simple so that others can tell what you're all about so that they're not confused. Because I feel like if, if they're confused, they're less likely to support you. But if you're clear and specific, they can follow that. And hey, I want to get behind that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think, um, you know, I just want to to underline what you said, too, about the, the volunteering part. And I think that any opportunity that you can have to to take a look behind the scenes, you know, pull back the curtain on anything that that you're interested in. And I'm thinking about writing and, you know, the f- very first newspaper writing that I did way back when I didn't know what I was doing. And I just looked at a story. I looked at a few stories that I was like, I like what this how this made me feel when I read this. And so I just broke it down and basically copied the format that that writer had done to put together my own story. And since then, I've done that many times in many jobs and in many iterations of my life where it's like, okay, find the person who is doing the thing, get in there, see how they're doing it. And like you said, Roberta, like maybe there's aspects of it that you're like, oh, I like that. I'm going to do that. And then maybe there's other aspects where it's like that, that doesn't quite work for me or it doesn't make sense to me. So I will shift it. And I think that one of the big lessons that I've learned in entrepreneurship, and it sounds like you have too, is that like this need to recreate the wheel or be kind of the first of everything isn't isn't necessary. We can just take what's already been learned and build on it and go from there. And I want to say something about your business that you didn't just say, but I'm going to say it because it gives me chills when I think about it, because we've known each other for a few years now. But when you decided that your focus would be single moms and you you really decided to go there, I had chills because what you just said about keeping it simple, that makes a lot of sense. And then to see you evolve into like what the next part of that like really simple laser focus would be, it made so much sense to me. 
And what I loved about it was not only that you drilled down, but you let it evolve. You didn't need to know that that was going to be your focus from day one. It was okay that it that it evolved. Does that, am I characterizing you right, do you think? No, you absolutely are. And and again, it was it was something that I had to learn as well. So we started out wanting to do something to help women. And then it was, okay, now it's been a year. Let's take a look at who we're helping. Let's really dig into that. And that's how we found out that, oh my, that's the common thread. They're single moms. Right. It just made, it just made sense. Yeah. Yeah. So if I could summarize, I think it would be, you know, if you, for anyone listening who has a pull to be an advocate, it's okay to figure it out as you go, you know, find others who are doing the work, but it's okay to let it evolve and, and to see what it wants to become. It doesn't have to be a fully formed thing and nor do you have to dig your heels in and force it to be that thing that you initially thought it would be. Well, Roberta, where can people find your work online and get involved with you? So um, our website is infinitestrength.org. And then we're on Instagram at Strength for Healing, um, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. So, you know, and you can get all that through our website. Perfect. We will link to it. Thank you so much, Roberta. Thank you, April, as always. So today's writer and guest was Roberta Lombardi. Her piece was called When Two Worlds Collide, which you can find in the 2023 issue of Wildfire called Five Years and Counting. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stick to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our 40-plus issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, here is your writing prompt. Today we heard a piece that was inspired by Roberta's love and the support she got from Lisa Laudico. And writing about these people that impact us and that pass on is a wonderful way of bridging their legacy to the life that you have now. So your writing prompt is, her name was, her name was, and I want you to write about someone that has passed from your life and what she meant to you. Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing, see what needs to come out. And if you want more writing prompts, I have a bunch more at wildfirecommunity.org slash free. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.